3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation's true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. CR Breakfast. Oh, yay. Alternative news, analysis and current ass. affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, to 8.30am. Yeah. Only double. Grab your <laughs> And good morning. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast here at 3CR at 855 AM. And this morning in the studio, we've got Kate and Em and myself, Carly. Good morning, everyone. So it's Thursday the 12th of September. Um, how's everyone feeling? Yeah, great. Yeah. Pretty sleepy this morning, but excited to, you know, have the coffee, wake up. <laughs> also, hold on, stop for a second. I just say, I just walked out of the studio for a moment then, and so I was listening to the radio broadcast, you know, throughout 3CR. And Carly, you have such a good radio voice. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Actually. Yeah, you do. <laughs> the best. I was like, hang on, hang on, who's this? <laughs> It's <laughs> what you want to wake up to. <laughs> um, so what do we have on the show this morning? So first up, I think we're playing some audio that you recorded a little while back. Yeah, mm, yeah with Carol um, from the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance. And if you had along to the Japarong Solidarity Rally mm. on Tuesday, you would have seen yeah, a really huge Asian contingent there. Mm. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to that one again. And then at 7.30, we're chatting with Ian Okaka, who is a presenter here at 3CR, The Voices of West Papua, who's going to be share, telling, you know, sort of sharing with us a, a bit about what's going on there, but also letting us know about a really great panel that's happening tonight called Bichetta Papua, and then also a solidarity rally that is happening on Saturday. Then at quarter to eight this morning, we'll be chatting with Anita Thomason, um, who is also a 3CR presenter here. We've really got a whole, a whole crew of 3CR folk this morning. Amazing, amazing radio. And you're great, and you're great. I think it's more, we like to call it community building. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Um, so we're going to be chatting with Anita about um, both the show that she's part of, Satellite Skies, who are having a fundraiser this Friday night. So we're going to be talking about, you know, why that's so important and also some of the aims of the show. And then at 8 o'clock, we're going to be speaking with Jess Hill, who's an investigative journalist and author of the recently published book, See What You Made Me Do. So very excited to be speaking with Jess this morning. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then last up on the show at quarter past eight, we'll be talking with Kate Tenbiran, uh, who is co-curator of an exhibition called They Shield Us at Career Heritage Trust, um, which yeah is a really, really beautiful show. So it'll be great to uh, share that with you before it closes on the 29th of September so you can get on down there. Great. And now let's head to news with Kate Kelly. A group of leading academics from across Australian universities have joined the calls for Daniel Andrews to stop the destruction of the sacred, sacred Jabarung birthing trees. Academics from across the country wrote an open letter to the Premier asking, asking him to intervene to save the sacred trees. The letter reads, Victoria has entered into negotiations towards a treaty with the First Peoples of Victoria. A project with this scale of impact on First Peoples and country contradicts treaty principles of a respectful relationship between sovereign peoples. It comes a people... 
It comes as people at camp issue red alerts for supporters to get down there now as reports there were workers and police trying to commence tree felling on Tuesday. Monash University's senior executives have forced a student election to be cancelled after the age revealed international students have been banned from from um, banned from the union's elections. Leaders of the Monash University Corfu Union last week passed a new rule that students wishing to run a next week's election must be eligible to work 22 hours per week. Foreigners on student visas are not allowed to work more than 20 hours per week, so the move was designed to keep Chinese students from running in the election. The International Student Group, which is considering legal action to fight the ruling, was tipped to comfortably win the election and take over the union. Monash University's senior management is reportedly working behind closed doors with the student union to resolve the matter and avoid creating a perception that international students are discriminated against on campus. And an American man who founded one of the biggest conversion therapy programs in the U.S. and led the infamous Truth Ministry for 20 years has come out and apologized. Recreating Game um, said he recounted his experience as a conversion therapist minister in a recent Facebook post titled, Please Forgive Me, before coming out and then apologizing for the harm he had caused. Nearly 700,000 LGBTQ adults in America have received conversion therapy and around 300,000 of those received the treatments as adolescents. In Australia, the numbers are unclear as the practice remains quite secretive, but there are concerns that has grown in the last two years. Aside from Victoria, no other state in Australia has, has a ban on conversion therapy. And that is all for news headlines. Thanks so much. Thanks, Kate. And, yeah, um, that first story that you talked about is really important. Mm. So um, there was a call out last night by the Japarong mm. Embassy. And so if you can reschedule things today and tomorrow and over the weekend, um, please do head down to Japarong. And let's, over the course of the show, share, you know, more updates around that and how folks can get down there and other ways they can support as well. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, and now I think I'm going to head to a track by Tasman Keith, and this song's called Pray. Yeah. 
Tasman Keith. I'm really excited for just more music to be produced by Tasman Keith. Um, Really exciting upcoming artist. Um, And before we head into um, a conversation that I had with Carol Shui from the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance, I just wanted to share some numbers from the Jabarong Heritage Protection Embassy. Um, And if you haven't already, um, definitely try and follow them on Facebook and Twitter um, and also their Instagram account. Um, But yeah, Today, definitely get on the phones and email Vic Rhodes, Western Highway Project Management Team, and you can call the number 1300 779 642 or email them at whp at Um And then, yeah, throughout the show, we'll be sharing more numbers and emails that you can call. And otherwise, definitely, yeah, head on to the Japarong Heritage Protection uh, Embassy um, on Facebook Instagram and Twitter to follow more updates as well. Um, but yeah, now we'll head into this conversation that I've had with Carol about the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance. I am sitting here with Carol Tre um, at Melbourne University and Carol, uh, please introduce yourself for listeners um, and today I'd love for you to talk about the work that you're doing with the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance. Yep. Hi. So I'm, I guess we're meeting um, at Melbourne Uni because I study and teach here, but I also work with the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance, um, Narambiraranga, um, and I've been doing this work since the end of last year, um, where we began um, by organizing an Asian Muslim and Jews contingent uh, to participate at the Invasion Day rally. So, Carol, who comprises of the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance? Yeah, so we are a group of young Asian people from um, a lot of different backgrounds. So it goes, it spans from West Asia to East Asia, and um, we're around like we're. We sort of range in between ages of maybe early 20s to late 30s. And how did the group start? 
Um, it, it's quite a funny story because me and my friend Lou, we were in Warang, Sydney, uh, at the end of 2017, and we happened to just see this poster that was translated in Vietnamese, and it said, um, "You are on Aboriginal land." And so we looked it up, and we found out that it was a group called the Anti-Colonial Asian Alliance. Um, based in Sydney, and we ended up messaging them and meeting up with them. And so we met Harry and Rose in particular, who organised over there, and decided that we would set up um, a group here in Nam as well. Um, and yeah, so the purpose of the group is to support. Um, First Nations sovereignty and land rights struggles, um, but also uh, to work in relation to refugee justice and anti-detention. Great. Uh, so what would you say are the objectives of the group? Um, and are there any campaigns in particular that the group is currently supporting? So in terms of objectives, um, I think the reasoning behind setting up a specifically Asian group, an anti-colonial Asian group, is to, well, first of all, acknowledge that, you know, Asian people who have, um, you know, come to this land uh, for a whole variety of reasons are also benefiting of stolen land and are settlers on this land. Um, we don't necessarily have the same experience as um, white colonizers and settlers um, because we do um, I said like Asian people do go have gone through and, and still do go through um, a process of racialization and assimilation um, here uh, which is not to say that it is the same experience as First Nations black and brown people um, but it is. It still exists, and it just like manifests in a way that um, sort of pre a lot of the time presents, um, especially I think East Asians as these model minorities who um, who get to excel in life, but then end up stepping on other groups of people in that process. So we're actively working against that model minority myth as a group of Asian people who are committed to anti-racism and anti-colonialism. And we, our objectives, um, as I said before, are to support First Nations struggles, um, refugee justice, but also to work with our own communities and to be shifting the terms of address um, in, in relation to raci racism towards um, sort of like a more shifting the terms of address away from just like a black and white dialogue and to, um, I guess, assert that, you know, it is important for other racialized groups to be part of the com conversation. Mm, yeah. Carol, what have you found are the greatest difficulties that the group's facing or some of the challenges that you're finding that you're having to work through? Yep, so uh, in terms of challenges, there are many. Well, because first of all, we are um, a group that only recently come together. Um, we have, you know, our 
like we have the same political commitment, but that does not necessarily mean that we are we all agree on everything and and in terms of like the ways that we should be doing things. So um, it's still definitely early days for us in terms of building an anti-racist movement, um, but we want to be doing that with other groups as well. And we work, we are starting to work with um, Muslim Justice Collective. We already work with Rise Refugees, Survivors and Ex-Detainees and have been supporting them in um, a lot of their campaigns, ex- um, especially Sanction Australia. And um, yeah, we are... We have. We also support the Japarong um, Sacred Trees and Landscape campaign. We've been doing that since, uh, as a group, since the start of this year. But yeah, I suppose um, I think because the there are so many things to be working on, to be um, fighting, the group definitely needs to at some point, I guess, like consolidate and like refocus our aims as to what how how we can be supporting these um like supporting all these things in a sustainable and long-term way yeah Absolutely. That's one of the hardest challenges of doing any movement or organising work, um, just thinking about those long-term goals and how to sustain mm-hmm. a group. And this group is growing dramatically, and it's not just based in Melbourne. Uh, you mentioned before there's also a group in Warung and mm. potentially also expanding up to Minjin, yeah. Yagra Turbo country. Yeah. Does that in itself excite people in the Asian anti-colonial alliance, that mm. it's growing and yeah, I think so. And, you know, one of the most sort of inspiring things um, with, like, the how the group sort of is starting to pop up in different places is the fact that, um, well, for some of us, we get to meet people from these different places doing this work. And that's incredibly inspirational. Um, for instance, I was recently lucky to go to Aotearoa, New Zealand. And this is a different group, but they have very similar political commitments. So they're called Asian Supporting Tina Ranga Tiratanga. And um, Tina Ranga Tiratanga being loosely translated as Maori sovereignty. Um, so that's another group of anti-colonial Asians, you know, just across the Tasman Sea who um, are working, you know, in in sort of like different ways and they're a lot more established being a group, I think, that has existed for three years. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess it's it's not only um it's not only like a matter of this this uh anti-colonial work being sort of transmitted through um young asian people but it, um in in so-called australia but it is also something that you know exists in a lot of other settler colonial countries and yeah i think a lot of this Asian solidarity stuff also takes from um, and is inspired by uh, black and Asian alliances in um, Turtle Island. That's so exciting, Carol. Um, Yeah, just that there are so many anti-colonial Asian alliances um, across this world. 
And I guess lastly, how can people get involved, or particularly Asian folks get involved? So we have a Facebook page and also a Facebook group. So people would be able to um, request uh, a membership in that group, or your like people are definitely welcome to just message the group, and someone will get back to you, and then probably add you to our um, sort of like organizing communications.、Um, but I do want to say that、uh, in like this is. I think, dis- despite the the name, anti-colonial Asian alliance has been quite militant and stuff. And we do intend, well, we do have operations that you know、um, are actively anti-colonial. I won't say too much about that yet. But、um, a lot of what we're trying to do is also build relations, relationships with each other,、um, and you know that is.、Uh, A long and ongoing process where we have to、uh, just, I guess, build trust. And sometimes、um, that's that's really simple stuff, like getting together for a movie night or、um, hanging out at a caf- cafe. So there are a lot of ways that people can get involved, and it's not necessarily what. Um, the sort of common understanding of so-called activism is,、um, yeah. So I hope that people won't feel intimidated at all,、um, and there's just a lot of ways that you can be part of this movement. Thank you so much, Carol, for joining us on 3CR. Thanks, Carly. The Australian Plants Expo is a huge native plant fair with displays, books, garden pots, giftware, and activities for children, along with talks, demonstrations, workshops, refreshments, and door prizes. The Australian Plants Expo, Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of September, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Adults five dollars, concessions four dollars, and children free. Contact Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra via email on apsyarrayarra at gmail dot com or call zero four three zero five one three four three three for more information. The Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra is a three CR supporter. Red alert! Numbers are needed at the Japarang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites, and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat, or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. 
Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. You gotta pick some, you gotta roll some. This game ain't free, you better grow some. It's a full court press, you gotta grow some. Shit is foul, just bounce if you're open. You gotta pick some, you gotta roll some. This game ain't free, you better grow some. It's a full court press, you gotta grow some. Shit is foul, just bounce if you're open. My hook is like Willis, it goes where I will it. Willing, rocket science past the rock when I feel it. Hands in my face, still feeling nothing but nets. Can't capture the realness. No fans in the stands, but that's standing. Not even my pops can watch with his hands up. Uh, too many hazards on this block, no answers. Question why the wrong shots getting blocked? Blackness, cell block, not a long shot. Shit is practice, but I know the sweet spots. Plus, I got hops and hands that don't break bread, they break ankles instead. Mixtapes and street cred, and one, why you reach, I teach figures, I should have been an angel, but my city's got clippers, try to cut the path to the paint, but I'm quicker, you missed the charge, now they selling posters with our picture, now my stats make stacks, go figure the rest, do the thoughts you manifest, stay in step with your flesh, or do you hesitate when you press with threats, stress, cause and effect, ball in the net, points for the guards, Cappy Poindexter, when I blend the heart with the hard, a hard pillar guard, near and afar, switch frames, beyond freeze, the Iceman legend whose lessons outlive his knees. Pick some, you gotta roll some, this game ain't free, you better throw some, it's a full court press, you gotta grow some, shit is foul, just bounce if you're open, you gotta pick some, you gotta roll some, this game ain't free, you better throw some, it's a Press, you gotta grow some. Shit is foul, just bounce Yo, you open. Uh, I caught the pass to the chest in the park playing chess. A cigar filled with sets, healing stress. Feel as if my best made plans being played on the bench. Talking to my shorty, trying to get the tech. Blocking all attempts like the Kembe. Felt my heart beating like a djembe when she met me. Hard away like I'm penne. Roll to my apartment. I'm making penne, roll up the garnish, exquisite pen game. Doing this for many years like LeBron James. Been over a decade, a team with the dream shape. See, I caught the spin moves when I've been with you. Spend a few winners lacing up my shoes for a substitute. Uh, run the jewels on your emerald eyes. She like Jordan 3s, 4s, 7s, and 5s. Incredible style, full court press beside me for a while. You and I, the dynasty, finally. Pick some, you gotta roll some. This game ain't free, you better grow something. It's a full court press, you gotta grow something. Shit is foul, just bounce if you're open. You gotta pick something, you gotta roll something. This game ain't free, you better throw something. It's a full court press, you gotta grow something. Shit is foul, just bounce if you're open. Yeah, you gotta make it in this life. He tighten his laces, ain't no super team, just human beings inside the matrix. Simmons vision and patience, he feeling alright now. Others garbage, left their guard in shot town. But now we got LeBron, ain't no mama or Mike now. We'll feel Jack to hand out advice now, it's right now. Cause any second past deflected last impression, Mike the best, ain't no question. Hit him with the left shit. I'm built advantage and passive, that's the blessing. The banner's hanging from the rap.
rappers That's the message, pass the pepper Yeah, the rock is all they need On the block with two socks A pistol like his feet Take it back to the beach Basket shorts above the knees Dr. Nice with the same space Before there was a league To blend the dreams of minorities With the teams who get the cream And split the cheese with the fiends Pick some, you gotta roll some This game ain't free, you better throw some It's a full court press, you gotta grow some Shit is foul, just bounce if you're open You gotta pick some, you gotta roll some This game ain't free, you better throw some It's a full court press, you gotta grow some Shit is foul, just bounce if you're open I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR, funded by the City of Yarra. Guatemala. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast here at 3CR, 855 AM. And that track we played before was by Socrates, one of my favourite like duos in Melbourne. Um, and, yeah, very 
frequently play that music here at 3CR <laughs> on Thursday breakfasts. Um, and that track was Bounce. And now we are going to be speaking with um, Ian, who's a 3CR presenter with the voice of West Papua and liaising officer in regards to the Solidarity Rally on Saturday and the Bakara Papua panel tonight. Welcome, Ian. Hi. How are you going? Um, yeah, feeling well. It's early in the morning and I'm all pumped up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Ian, could you first start by telling listeners a bit about what's happening in West Papua at the moment? Uh, the um, the ongoing battle between the West Papua and um, Indonesian government has um, it, it has been a long running battle since early nineteen um, sixties, and um, just recently. Just recently, there was an uprising in West Papua where hundreds and thousands of West Papuans took it to the streets in several major cities in, um, in not only in West Papua, but also in, uh, in Indonesia, in capital city of Indonesia, and also the solidarity actions all across um, the globe from in Australia, in, in Europe, in uh, USA, in Papua New Guinea. Um, and it's pretty much um, it all started when um, Indonesian military with the um civil organizations um approached the West Papuan students dormitory in Surabaya in one of the Indonesian city and um because the students the West Papuan students refused to raise Indonesian flag during the um seventeen August which is the Indonesian Independence Day. So this um civil organizations backed up with um T N I and police started abusing this um the students by um calling them racial slurs like um pigs, monkeys and called uh, asked the West Papuan students to go back to West Papua mm-hmm. and um yeah since then you know the West Papuan they've been like we've we've all had enough of all the Indonesian discriminations and the brutality. So what it did was um it um creates an um uprising all across West Papua. It's an accumulative of several issues that just need one little spark and that incident uh where they're calling West Papuan monkeys is just like a spark to a fire that now West Papuan are speaking out, took it to the streets and since then they've still um you know, several um, thousands of people now still um, occupying the streets um, in West Papua and calling for Indonesia to um, to respect West Papua and to give the West Papua um, their right to self-determination. And the Indonesian responded to this by sending um, more than 6,000 um, military and police troops to West Papua to um, to stabilize the situation, but what what um, that created was um, is just another conflict, and mm-hmm. um, so basically, what's happening with Papua is now just chaos. Mm-hmm. And whilst things have escalated recently, um, this fight for independence has been happening just for many, many years. And West Papua remained a Dutch colony until it was handed over to Indonesia in 1963. Um, yeah, could you speak to just how long the struggle has been going for? The struggle has been more than um, half a century already. And um, it, it all started uh, with the New York Agreement um, that were never consulted with the West Papua, where um, it was, West Papua was handed into Indonesia in 1962. Um, 63 and um, in 1969 there was a, um, a referendum um, 
what's Papua call it, the um, one man, one uh, egg of egg of free choice, but what's Papua call it, egg of no choice, where um supposed to be one man, one vote, but um, only 1,026 um, people were handpicked by the Indonesian um, government at that time to vote to stay with Indonesia. So um, they asked people how many people want to stay with um, Indonesia, and people who want to stay with Indonesia just raised their hand, and um, only two people decided to um, to not stay with Indo- Indonesia. So um, because they were, you know, handpicked and they were stay in a um, military camp for more than a week, and it was at the gun the gun point that as I say you have to choose to, uh, with with Papua uh, to stay with Indonesia, then um, to to go out from Indonesia. And people were scared at that time. And there's still um, several witnesses, living uh, witnesses of that um, act of referendum that are still telling the stories. And yeah, ever since then, since 1962, um, um, you know, the was Papua has been battling with um, with Indonesia since then. And like I said, the situation is not getting better. The Indonesian government came up with some answers and some solution for. Uh, there was pop one um, demand for self-determination, but it's never been um, met with what really uh, was pop one that one. So yeah. Mm. And because as you were sort of saying, Ian, I guess that while the process, while the protests began as a call to end racism, to end the media blackout that the Indonesian government's imposed, and to get like to get the troops out of West Papua. Is so important to see to, that it's become a, a much bigger fight for self-determination. Um, I was wondering, can you sort of speak to speak to this, the, the the challenges speaking out about about the resistance movement um, as someone who is based here in in Nam um, in Berengar in so-called Melbourne? Yeah, um, there's a lot of challenges. Um, in speaking about uh, West Papua, is that um, you know most of the West Papuan um, overseas that speaking about what's happening in, in in West Papua, mind you that there is no um, media access to West Papua, so it's really hard for journalists, um, foreign journalists, to come to really see the real situation in West Papua. So um, we've got um, a lot of um, West Papuan friends and brothers and sisters, um, West Papuan links, a network that we can um, get the news stories from that we can rely on. But it's it's really hard because the Indonesian and um, the government is now cracking down on you know, any form of um, independent media um, that reporting the current situation in, in West Papua. So um, anyone who uh, um, anyone who has captured supplying any news um, about current situation and the police and military brutality in West Papua will face treason charges which can um, can they can get up to 15 years in jail or death penalties and so you know while we in Melbourne there's some challenges uh, according you know we're still trying to revoke the Lombok Treaty it's an agreement um, between Australia and Indonesia and this agreement uh, pretty much prevents the Australia from helping the West Papua and helping stop the genocides. Um, and, you know, we are calling the Australian government because we know, um, you know, they're using taxpayers' money to fund the um, military force and um, 
the deputy detachment 88, um, the police force that are, you know, responsible for the death of more than half a million, um, was Papuan, what we call a slow moving genocide. And it's all, um, fueling funded and, um, the, the personnel on the ground is actually they're trained by, um, Australian police. So that's why, um, you know, we are calling the Australian government to reevaluate on the, um, Lombok, uh, treaty, try to revoke the Lombok treaty. Um, you know, because, um, yeah, it's preventing Australian from um, helping the West Papua and helping stop the genocide, which is happening just 100 kilometers away from um, the Australia, the closest neighbor. Mm. And, and I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the the, the position that is the Australian government has taken and its lack of accountability. Because I, I noticed that um, independent member for Clark, uh, Andrew, was it? Andrew, yeah, Andrew Wilkie, you know, he came out the other day um, and sort of stood in solidarity with um, West Papuans. But on the whole, am I right that the Australian government has been, you know, relatively silent on this or has continued to support Indonesia? Yes, it is. Um, it's such an, a sensitive issue um, in West Papua that, um, you know, even the Australian government don't really... Um, they don't really want to get involved with this. Any excuse they always um, make is that it's an interpart problem of um, Indonesia. But, um, you know, the military, the deadly detachment 88, um, who is responsible for the um, half a million was Papuan dying, is actually, um, you know, Australian government is responsible for this by funding and training. So, you know, it, it's really hard to... Um, trying to, you know, knock on Australian door to, um, for the Australian government to help the West Papuan because the stand position of the Australian government, and it is still linked with the, um, the Lombok treaties that, you know, they will not intervene with any, any problem from Indonesia that, that is interpart, uh, integral part of, um, Indonesia. And, um, they respect the Indonesian, um, sovereign, sovereignty. So any kind of, um, genocide that is happening just in the back, uh, backyard is, um, is n- not the problem. But uh, now we are starting to see, you know, independent mi- um, ministers and, um, Richard De Natale has been, um, mm-hmm. Speaking um, really loudly about the, the situation in West Papua and trying to push a bill um, about West Papua in the parliament, um, parliament so that Australia government can help the West Papua. And um, as long as there is still Lombok Treaty, it will prevent you know any act of um, um, even what we are doing now. Speaking about West Papua is actually illegal in Australia according to Lombok Treaty uh, because we are not respecting Indonesian sovereignty. So, you know, while there's still Lombok Treaty, I don't think um, Australia will take a stand on helping the, stopping the genocide that is happening in West Papua, and it's really sad. Mm. And, Ian, there's a panel happening tonight, Bichara Papua, and then a rally, a solidarity rally happening on Saturday. Can you let us know a little bit about what these two events are about? Yes, um, um, there was there was a, there was someone that um you know someone organized a um a forum a panel um in Melbourne University it's called Bichara Papua means um Tok Papua 
talk Papua. So, um, yeah, this, uh, the panelists will consist of, um, Ken Setiawan, um, one of the panelists, he's a, a postdoctoral researcher, researcher at, and, um, a lecturer in, I think it's Indonesia and Asian Studies in uh, University of Melbourne, um, but also Karen Nisa, the um, CEO and founder of Ketongbisa Enterprise, uh, but also Richard Chaffel and Jacob Prumbiak, uh, who just recently been added to this, um, one of the panelists. Uh, Jacob Prumbiak is the um, Melbourne-based um, West Papua leader, and he's also the... Um, one of the member of the is actually the spokesperson of um, ULMWP, uh, United Liberation Movement for West Papua. It's an umbrella organization that um, consists of um, several organizations, and you know, working in overseas, so, sort of like a um, government in exile in overseas, trying to you know, um, bring West Papua an issue to um, Pacific Island Forum. And um, also to the UN, um, yeah, to the UN. Uh, so yeah, this forum will happen on um, on Thursday, um, 12th of September 2019. It, it starts at 5:30 um, p.m. It will end at 8 o'clock p.m. Um, and the forum will be at the Theater B Old Arts Building in, um, in the University of Melbourne, uh, Parkville. Um, yeah, so encourage people to come because um, you know the current the current situation in West Papua is that now um, the Indonesians are now using the um, the full force to to flush out any act of uh, separatism and um, any West Papuan for um, calling for self determination. So um, you know this forum, um, I believe it, it will cover all this. Um, also. Um, trying to find a solution to what's happening in West Papua at the moment, um, the uprising in, in West Papua. So we encourage people to, to come um, to, this, to this forum. Um, but you can check the full detail on um, both of West Papua Facebook page. We um, uploaded a, um, a post, a picture of the, the whole event, and, um, yeah, people can go there. So it is related to the current situation um that is happening in West Papua also um and also on Thursday we are having a rally and this is just one of the um rallies um that um supporting the uprising in West Papua and um it has happened in I think it started on Friday, on on Thursday last week um from Perth Brisbane, so all across Australia, people are now gathering and voicing out their concern about um, current situation in West Papua, and they're actually calling the, um, the Australia's um, foreign minister, Maris Pine, to to revoke the Lombok Treaty, and um, also this the Saturday event is also part of um, the uprising, where. Um, you know, it's also a call out to the, the, the Australian government, but also um, we want to say no to all forms of um, racism and discrimination against Papuan students, um, children, women and men. And we say yes to Papuan's right to um, self-determination. And um, there's a few demands that um, we, we want to achieve from this um this rally and rallies all across Australia uh, that um, Jokowi's, um, the Indonesian government must include um, the voice of, 
and participation of West Papua in all process of um, you know tackling racism and discrimination against um, Papuans. Because, um, Ian, yep. we are going to have to wrap up the interview just there. Yep. Um, yep. But I really strongly encourage listeners, if you want to find out more, come along tonight to an excellent panel discussion at Melbourne University, Bichata yes. Papua, 5.30. I'll be there. Um, and then come along on Saturday, show your support for the West Papua um, Resistance and Solidarity Movement, 1 p.m. at the State Library of Victoria. Yes. And also, if you want to find out more, people can tune in on Tuesday evening, 6.30, here on 3CR to the Voices of West Papua. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Ian. Thank you, Amin Kaili. You're on 3CR Radio. This is Thursday Breakfast. It is almost 10 to 8 at the moment. Our guest just before was Ian Okaka, from, um, who's a 3CR presenter here at... Um, on the Voices of West Papua show, who let us know about the history of the resistance movement to colonisation in West Papua and what you can do to show your support um, by coming along to the rally this Saturday, 1pm, at the State Library. You're tuned into 3CR Thursday Breakfast, 8.55am. 3CR broadcasters present over 100 radio programmes every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to one at 3CR Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Just come on to 3CR Community Radio. Araja Al Ishtrakal and Ningal Ungalin Samuhavanali 3CR Kurtu Kondir Kandirkal. Rindri Nayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio I Gayaranin. For a time, Gudam Elbumi Hai Kaotin. Hima Artsana Krevetsek Iper 3CR Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. Currently, Victoria Police can charge people for detection of either cannabis, amphetamines or MDMA. But those detections do not correlate with impairment. Impaired drivers should be removed from the roads and that's why we're urging an inquiry into Victoria's RDT scheme to ensure that the resources that are currently employed to make our roads safer are being properly used to make our roads safer. Help us refocus road safety onto what makes roads safe. Sign the e-petition parliament.vic.gov.au forward slash council forward slash petitions and look for the Inquiry into Drug Driving Reform, Petition 117. A 3CR supporter. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. 
story about a young girl. She was 18, brown skinned with the curls. Made it from the area, fuck all the stereotypes. And if you wanted, I might tell them to pass in the mic. I don't want to Uh, if you approve, can I rest my doubt? If I can make it on the scene, does that make classes out? Cause looking out from the minority, I see. We see the gaps in the authority, Nikki. Issue in the system that's been written, no permission. You can mask it with my purity and my face. My insecurities creeping up out of space. Sometimes I'm still tripping on my own shoelace. But I stand up anyways and I pay for my race. Cause go and take a hit in the grasses. And having dreams I thank my mama Cause where would I have been And I just wanna influence My generation's teens From the area streets When we're way into the scene I don't want you to think That I'm anything more We grew up together I'll be there when you call And I hate to see my parents Go for scuffs on the floor Brother, we can build together You can knock on my door Heard a little story About a young girl She was 18 Brown skin with the curls Made it from the area Fuck all the stereotypes And if you wanted I might Tell them to pass in the mic don't take a leap in the grasses high and the our Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer 
Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday. Black and deadly sound. Appreciate community radio. Eight fifty-five on the radio. Point of the people. Black and deadly sound. Appreciate community radio. Eight fifty-five on the radio. Point of the people. Black and deadly Friday. Radio. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. So that track we played before was Brown Girl Chronicles by Rebecca Hatch. And now we're going to head into another track by Pataphysics. Uh, and this track is called Today. Comfort 
zone Quick flick of an eye The moment can pass you by Too many things you know I wanna do before I die It is what it is Some things just ain't meant to be And when you're in it The full picture is hard to see Usually don't know what you got Till it's gone We're living for those Who were lost in the storm Save you this existence Express it to a friend Easy Cause you know things work out in the end track there was um, learned by, uh, sorry, today by Pataphysics. Um, yeah, really great Melbourne artist Pataphysics is. And uh, now we are joined on the line by Jess Hill. And Jess is an investigative journalist and author of the recently published book, See What You Made Me Do. Welcome, Jess. Hi, I'm how are you going? Great. Jess, could you first uh, start by telling listeners um, a bit about your book, just generally, um, yeah, what is the book See What You Made Me Do about? Yeah, so basically it's a book about domestic abuse in Australia. Uh, it's about the entire phenomenon of it, so what it looks like, what it feels like, how the justice system responds or doesn't respond, and how, you know, why then do it, how children experience it, what it's like to go through the family law system. I basically, I set an incredibly ambitious agenda for what I wanted to cover in this book. Um, mostly because, you know, in the 40 years since we started shelters in this country, nobody had written a book like this. There'd been academic books and there'd been books for survivors, you know, advising them on, on, on what to do and how to recover, but nothing for the general public. And so I, I felt like there was a huge duty to really cover this properly uh, and the feedback so far has been really amazing. And Jess, why why is it so important um, when doing this work to focus on the underlying patterns of power, control and entitlement that people who use violence use, um, particularly men, as you speak about, um, rather than focusing on, I guess, the more the more visible and quote-unquote media-worthy um, forms of violence that often get the most attention? Yeah, so, you know, the media-worthy forms of violence are the criminalised, you know, forms of domestic abuse, which are the physical incidents. So, you know, they both get sensationalised because, you know, if it bleeds, it leaves. But, um, but also when, you know, journalists, will report on crime. And a lot of domestic abuse isn't a crime. A lot of the worst parts of domestic abuse are not criminal uh, because they're not physical. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of women will tell you that actually the worst part of it for them was the psychological violence, not the physical violence. And that is what takes them years or even decades to recover from. And it's also the kind of um, violence or abuse that for many women can continue long after the relationship is over. Because many men, especially men who are very controlling in their relationships, who use what we call coercive control, 
they will use whatever system they can possibly exploit to continue to control their partners for years. So that might be the family law system. They might make their, their partner or ex-partner spend tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to protect their children from going, you know, from going to spend time or live permanently with an abusive parent. Or they might, you know, be calling the child protection system incessantly reporting their partner. Or they may do any number of things. Any, any system can be bent to their need to exploit and, and remain control, to, you may take control over their partner. So I really wanted to shift the focus on family violence and domestic abuse away from just looking at your physical lens and to really look at say, like actually at the core of domestic abuse is often not physical violence, it's humiliation, it's degradation. And, they, and that shame that comes for the victims, that the way that they are shamed by their perpetrators, that's actually what is the hardest thing for them to deal with. And, you know, a number of women have said to me and they've said to sector workers that actually where there wasn't a lot of physical violence, they wished that the abuser would just hit them so they could, so it would be real. It's very hard for them to sort of pin down what is it that is happening to me when there's no physical violence because we're not taught about the other forms of abuse and that actually still constitutes abuse even if physical violence is not present. And Jess, when it comes to uh, reporting on, on family violence in the mainstream media, we often hear talk of what's called toxic masculinity. I want to ask you, why, why is this phrase, toxic masculinity, actually quite misleading when we think about the institutionalisation of, well, of male violence? Or male power, maybe better to put it. Yeah, well, look, uh, I think there are toxic expressions of masculinity, and I don't want to sort of get too semantic and put hairs on, on this term because I, I think it has a place um, and I think it's, it's managed to draw out a lot of what's, what's wrong with dominant forms of masculinity the fact that it's that what we value in terms of masculinity is autonomy, power strength, the ability to control unemotionality you know, all of these qualities that are fine if they're actually paired with other qualities like compassion and um, and the you know ability to express vulnerability, etc. But if they're only if we shelve them off from the so-called feminine traits that I just you know mentioned, it becomes a very unnatural way to live, and it and it leads to a lot of what we're seeing today around violence, especially against women, but also against other men. And I guess you know so when we we talk about toxic masculinity, it's not completely wrong, but I think what it's not doing is actually speaking to men. And I think, you know, if you had a bunch of men talking about toxic femininity, a lot of women wouldn't want to tune into that, right? And it's the same way for when women are talking about toxic masculinity, a lot of guys switch off. And so I sort of talk about it more in terms of fragile masculinity because actually I think what afflicts a lot of men is deep senses of insecurity, and a deep sense that they are not actually able to live up to the masculine ideal. And the response to that is one of shame. And so, and the expression, a lot of the time when they feel that shame, they will turn that shame, you know, especially abusively, will turn that shame into anger or into rage or into violence. Because violence is one way to replace a feeling of shame with pride, even if that is, or with power, even if that's quite short-lived, that, that feeling of, 
societal power. Um, but so I, I think that, like, you know, I really wanted the book. I don't really talk about I don't mention toxic masculinity. I don't even think I use that term once in the book because I really wanted this book to talk to them and not to talk at them uh, because actually there's, I, I don't think there's any need for a book on domestic abuse on the phenomenon of it that only talks to victims. At the moment, what we actually need is for this to be talking to men. And maybe not men who are full-blown perpetrators. They probably won't pay any attention. But men who are maybe at risk of becoming um, a perpetrator or men who have formerly been perpetrators to, to speak to their experience and to say, look, you're human beings. You've expressed incredibly toxic, you know, sometimes like it's sadistic behaviour, but we believe in your capacity to reform and that you are not toxic at your core. You are expressing toxic behaviour. So I think if we change or if we sort of move that terminology a little bit just to just to acknowledge that, that these men are human too and they've got inner worlds, they've got their own pain, they've got their own vulnerability and try to speak to that. I think you get a lot better response. It's not about handling them with kid gloves, but it's about how do we actually get these men to engage. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because th- another question sort of a lot along those lines. Um, in, the, in the introduction of the book, um, you talk quite a bit about the incredibly tragic and powerful story of Rosie Batty. Um, and as her story as somewhat of a turning point um, for the movement, like the anti-violence movement in Australia and the awareness of, um, of family violence in the Australian public and across politics. What I'm wondering is, you know, how do we both, you know, absolutely honour Rosie's incredible advocacy and strength, yet also how do we continue not to centre white middle-class women in the anti-violence movement in Australia? Yeah, no, it's an absolutely fundamental point. And, you know, part of Rosie's success, well, you know, A, it was her clarity, uh, you know, she's an incredibly charismatic person. She demands to be listened to just in the way that she speaks. But she also did come from that, you know, demilitarised zone of the white middle class where she was sort of a, a, like a victim people could get behind, you know, who didn't, they weren't suspicious of her, that she, she didn't have the qualities, you know, or the traits i.e. anything outside of the white middle class that people could suspect, well, maybe there was something you did that, you know, that deserved it, unless you're a men's rights activist, you're insane. Um, so, so part of her, obviously a part of her success was being from that, was being from that class. And, yeah, I guess, you know, the unintended consequence of that is that, as you say, it has centred that white middle class in the new discussion about um, domestic abuse. Some of that was necessary in, in terms of, I guess, convincing people that it didn't just happen to the poor or to the drug afflicted or, you know, because some people still believe that it was just a problem in, in um, low socioeconomic areas. So that has changed that conversation somewhat. But really what we need to, is to move away from the idea of the perfect victim and to acknowledge that actually victims come in all shapes and sizes, they come in all colours, and there's no better or worse victim depending on what choices she's made in her life. If she has turned to drugs as a way to cope or because the perpetrator has coerced her into a life of um, drug taking or because she was on drugs before she entered this relationship, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't change the fact that she's being abused by somebody, that she's being beaten or raped. 
or her liberty is being restricted by somebody, these shouldn't be things or, or um, these shouldn't detract from us wanting to protect her and from the courts responding to the violence being meted out against her or the abuse. So I think in the media, it's, it's up to us to really be portraying women of all, from, from all different backgrounds and not just the violence against, out against them, but showing their humanity and where they come from and why certain, you know, why certain choices that they made can, you know, were connected to their own histories or their own cultures. Uh, because too often, yeah, we hear about women from different cultures, but it's usually after they've been murdered. Or it's because we're hearing about something horrific that's been done to them. But actually flushing out their experiences and treating them like humans with three-dimensional experiences of this abuse and humans who were something else before they started being abused, that's really, I think it's really important and we probably, we don't, well, we definitely don't do enough of that as journalists. And I tried to do more of that in the book, um, especially in the chapter on indigenous violence, just really, you know, portray what it's like, try to give a visceral feeling of what it's like as an Indigenous woman, as much as I could, talking to other Indigenous women, what it's like to go through this violence with that cultural background. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, Rosie has done incredible things for this movement, quite involuntarily, you know, and she was sort of thrust into this position um, by, by then the most incredible and horrific thing that could ever happen to a mother. Um, she took it and ran with it, and she changed the conversation on family violence in Australia forever. Uh, but, but yes, there are obviously unintended consequences when somebody, when, a, when an individual becomes a lightning rod for a movement, and it's time that we move forward from there and, under, and understand where that conversation has developed to now. Mm. I actually just wanted to talk about one of the... Um favourite parts that I found in the book, which was in uh, your uh, chapter on patriarchy. And uh, just a quote from Michael Salter, um, where he says, "'Nonviolence is not simply the absence of violence, but nonviolence is the presence of characteristics that oppose violence, like care, patience or compassion. Rather than idolising real men who don't hit women, prevention campaigns could be valuing the other kinds of choices boys and men make, such as caring for others, supporting those in need and working for the collective good.'" Um, yeah, could you speak more to um, how you think prevention campaigns in Australia should be um, like moving towards? Yeah, for sure. So the thing is, even like biologically, no one really responds that well to being told off. Um, and, and prevention campaigns thus far have, have taken that more sanctioning approach to masculinity. And you know, even to the extent where some campaigns, I think it was an R-Watch campaign, talks about the behaviour you see young boys expressing towards girls and that, you know, uninterrupted, that may sort of continue on to become abusive behaviours in adulthood. So what Michael's talking about there is that actually what we need to model is the alternative form of masculinity because essentially testosterone, most people think testosterone is a is a um, aggression hormone. But actually what testosterone is is a status-seeking hormone. And so, you know, men, when testosterone is surging, they are looking to, to do something. I mean, this is a very, like, this is not, this is not quite exactly what goes through a man's head, but just, I'm just trying to sort of explain it. But what, what they're looking to do in the face of a challenge is to do something that, that gives, 
them higher status. And at the moment, we still, as a culture, value control as the highest form of status, control and power. So it's really, you know, if we're looking to try to make massive changes to our culture and changes to the way that men express masculinity and conceive of masculinity, then we need to be giving higher status to alternative expressions of masculinity, as Mike says, you know, compassion, care, you know, male parenting. We need to be giving that, like applying a higher status to that. So it's something that really appeals to men as an alternative. And, you know, when you think about guys who are have been habituated into a certain form of dominant masculinity, that's, you know, the form that people call toxic or whatever, it's actually quite a lot of work for them to untrain themselves and to unlearn those patterns. So there has to be incentive. Like, what's on the other side of doing all that work to unlearn those patterns and to reconnect with a sense of vulnerability and emotionality and all those things that for a very long time they've been taught is unsafe. It's unsafe to express that because you'll be vulnerable to the violence and control of other men mm. or you'll be exiled, you know, from, from friendships with other guys. So what are we offering them? It says it's worth unlearning that. Mm. That's what, you know, and that's what Mike really puts a lot of emphasis on. Um, and, and another thing, you know, I've been looking recently at the bystander campaign, you know, the call it out campaign. So it's like if you see something, say something. If you see your friend, you know, making a sexist comment towards a waitress or making a derogatory comment towards their wife, you should say something. And the ads pretty much show men shutting down their friends, saying, you know, that's not a joke or that's not on, you shouldn't do that, etc. But for me, that's just repeating the same old pattern of men shutting other men down. Um, and what I'd really like to see more of is modelling what is it like when men see that behaviour from their friends. Mm. And they say, hey, mate, why is it that you do that? Why do you feel the need to do that? And actually open up a conversation about it. Because mm. actually shaming men, who I think actually are also are already coming from a sense of male insecurity and shame as it is, that's why a lot of them are expressing these behaviours, shaming them further, not into doing it, doesn't mean they're going to stop being derogatory to their wife at home or derogatory towards women on the street. It probably just means they're going to feel more shame about it and just suppress it and maybe not do it in front of those blokes. Mm. But if you open up a conversation and try to get at the, the root of why is it that he wants to do that, and, and through that, express, like, this is not cool, dude. Like, you know, so let's have a chat about it. Then you're subverting that culture of violence that so many men live in and that culture of policing other men. That's actually the biggest subversion you can have, you know, in that moment. Yeah. And that's what we need to see more of is men talking to each other about this. Absolutely. We definitely need to be having more conversations generally, um, I think, in so-called Australia about <laughs> violence um, and how um, it does, yeah, structurally the violence that's occurring and then also how that filters down into all of our interpersonal relationships. And on that note, Jess, um, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us here on 3CR 855 AM. Thanks so much, Jim. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. 
The cops are coming with eviction orders very soon. The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit DWM. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code and follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR funded by the City of Yarra. So just before we were speaking with Jess Hill about her new book, See What You Made Me Do. And now in the studio, we are joined by Kate, uh, who's the co-creator of They Shield Us, which is now uh, exhibiting at the Koori Heritage Trust. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, So could you first start off by telling listeners a little bit about this exhibition? Sure. Uh, So They Shield Us is an exhibition that brings together um, new works by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women um, and pieces from the Koori Heritage Trust collection um, in our gallery space. So um, we have one of the biggest, or actually the biggest uh, collection dedicated to Koori artwork cultural belongings, oral histories, photographs um, in the world at the Koori Heritage Trust, so Koori people being Aboriginal people from um, southeastern part of Australia. Um, and so we've brought some of um, the cultural um, belongings um, and body adornments out of our collection and into the gallery um, to show... Um, the ongoing creation of these works by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, um, that, uh, the things that we wear, so cultural, um, belongings that we wear, so things like headpieces, necklaces, um, to possum skin cloaks and, um, bags. We have a pair of barbed wire shoes by Annie Loring Connolly mm. and all of these. So we have a really broad collection of, um, objects, um, mm. that you know, things that date back to the 1800s and mm. then also we um, continually collect things now so we're still acquiring works and so it really our collection shows the broad range of um, things that Aboriginal people are making today, so contemporary works um, that showcase, that show that, you know, our culture is ongoing um, and very contemporary. So, um yeah, we have objects from the collection in the show, but also six new commissions by artists that um, now live in Victoria, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. Um, and, yeah, those women are Yaren Bundle, Lisa Wayup, Isabel Morphy-Walsh, Arnie Marilyn Nichols, um, the Jury Jury Dance Group, and Laura Thompson from the Koori Circle, um, who all kind of came into the Koori Heritage Trust, looked at our collection and responded to that. Um, so it might be that they looked at things that they're um, from their mob 
um, and were influenced by the patterns or the designs on um, shields that we have in our collection or um, may have come in and looked at possum skin bags. Maybe they work with possum skins and had a look at those. And so we've um, brought those objects out into the exhibition as well as, as the new pieces that um, the artists have made. So it's really an incredible space to be mm. in and to bring those things together um, in a way that kind of honours, you know, the past makers um, and uh, contemporary makers as well. Absolutely. Um, and the exhibition is titled They Shield Us. What conversations have you been having with the other artists about about what shielding means? Mm. So um, I guess... When we started to conceptualise this show, and this is when Zenzi Clark was um, working at the Korea Heritage Trust with me as well, um, we were talking about, um, you know, this experience of um, kind of wearing cultural belongings and body adornments um, in our everyday lives, like with our everyday outfits, mm. um, that kind of helped with a layer of protection on that day. So I might put in my emu feather earrings um, and I just feel, you know, a sense of protection and a sense of strength, you know, coming from an ancestral place, um, you know, because my elders taught me how to make those mm. um, and people in my community continue to make those. And when I go into collections, um and I look at emu feather adornments, I can, I relate to those. And so when I wear the emu feather earrings, I feel really strong and I feel really proud of my, of who I am mm. as a black woman. Um, and also all, all of those stories that kind of go into, you know, just that, that pair of earrings. Um, and so yeah, sh- the sh- they shield us is about, um, that feeling that you get when you wear these things. So it's not only about, you know, the importance of continuing to make these things. Um, and often these things are being revived as, um, our practices have, um, you know, were, um, they tried to eradicate our cultural practices. Um, so often we're reviving these things. Um, but it's, yeah, it's not just about that, but it's about the wearing of it and what does that mean? What does that feel like? Why is that important to Aboriginal people and Aboriginal women in particular um, to wear these things? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and these works are already um, in the exhibition at the moment, so people can go and view them. What's the response been from the community so far? Yeah, people have really enjoyed it. So we, um, not only are the works, so the um, collection items and the new commissions by artists in the show, but um, also on the walls we have um, photographs by Michael Jellaru, who's a Torres Strait Islander photographer. Um, and we, before the exhibition opened, we had um, Jira models run by Perina Drummond come in to the Koori Heritage Trust and um, we had three young Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women modelling um, some of the objects from the collection and some of the new commissions um, so they were wearing them. Um, Rosie Kalina came and she did the makeup and Ella from Afro Betty Hair came and did the hair mm-hmm. and um, yeah the women were photographed wearing these ob- mm-hmm. objects and items and some of them had never been worn before. Wow. Um, and never being used in that way and you know when things live in a collection they live you know in drawers behind glass and um you know very separate from community and um you know we try and facilitate community access as much as we can to the collection um but to have them engaged Mm -hmm. with in that way and touched and worn um 
you know, was really quite special and I feel like the models really felt that that was a very special thing to be a part of as well and certainly myself and Marina Bernini who's mm-hmm. the assistant curator felt that too just that it was a really powerful thing to do to um, wear them and hold them and there was a certain energy in the room that um, was quite incredible so yeah we have those photos blown up really big as wallpaper surrounding the exhibition um, so when you walk in, you can kind of feel that this is like a black woman's space mm. um, and it celebrates, yeah, it really celebrates and honours Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, um, you know, because we wanted black women to walk in there and feel like this was for them. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think it does that, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, I just love how it's not just the artwork that... Um, you're changing, but also the way that people engage with it, and especially mm. the way that people, like the artists, are able to engage with it as well. It's just completely different to other museums and other exhibitions yeah, that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I feel like, yeah, providing, you know, facilitating access to these collections where um, community members, you know, might be related to the people that have made these objects, um, and um, yeah, having that close access to these um, things that, you know, are part of our, you know, history here in Victoria is really important Um, and getting them out of, you know, the archive and into the kind of public space is really important too. Um, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just lastly, Kate, um, how can people see this exhibition? When is it running until? So it runs until the 29th of this month, so there's not that much more time to see it. But the Career Heritage Trust is based at Federation Square, um, and it's accessible, and um, it's free, and we have a great shop too, so you can buy beautiful things as well. Um, And, yeah, most of the artists in the show, their works are for sale as well obviously our collection pieces are not for sale but um the artist's work are so yeah we invite everyone to come and have a look great thank you so much for joining us in the studio this morning kate we'll have to have you back another time thanks very much for having me and on that note we are going to have to wrap up the show so thank you so much for listening to thursday breakfast on 855 am 3cr breakfast would like to thank the new international bookshop Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information about upcoming discussions and events.